This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. There is a new plan for the rollout of legalized marijuana in Ontario, and reaction seems to be mostly positive. As you've been hearing in Zoomer Radio News, the Doug Ford PCs at Queen's Park will begin with online sales through a retail chain known as the Ontario Cannabis Store starting October 17th, and will move to a tightly regulated private retail model by April of next year. What do you think? Is this a better plan? Plan than the defeated Liberal government's idea to open publicly run cannabis stores using the LCBO model. Phone lines are open 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. And what about the safety of children? Will the online Ontario Cannabis Store have safeguards in place to make sure that people under 19 are not able to access marijuana? The province's Attorney General, Caroline Mulroney, and Finance Minister Vic Fideli have both been strong to point out that every measure is being taken to ensure the safety of children. Do you still have concerns, though? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Joining us to provide more information and reaction to the new Ontario Cannabis Plan is Will Stewart, VP of Haiku Brands, Canada's first vertical integrated cannabis brand house. Will is in studio with me. Hi, Will. Hi, thank you for having me. And Alan Rewak, Executive Director for the Cannabis Council of Canada, who is on the phone. Hi, Alan. Hey, Jane. Thank you so much for having me today. Will, you've been here before. Yes. Uh, but refresh us, uh, myself and our listeners, about what Haiku does. Yeah, so uh, Haiku is a cannabis brand management uh, house. We own a small grow facility in the Okanagan Valley called Dojo, which is also our West Coast brand. We have a female-centric cannabis brand called Vanderpop, which caters to female health and wellness events uh, across Canada. And we also have a, uh, a storefront brand called Tokyo Smoke, where we operate five coffee stores and um, high-design paraphernalia in Toronto currently, and one in Calgary. And uh, that property was uh, named Brand of the Year at the Canadian Cannabis Awards last year. So what does this new plan mean to you and your company? I would think you're very happy about it. We are very happy. We think the private sector can play a responsible education first uh, role in this new cannabis world. That's what we've been doing from our Tokyo Smoke Stores for the last three years. We run education classes. We have partnerships with health and wellness organizations across the city. And we've really built a community around that brand that will serve us well uh, and serve customers well when private retail comes to Ontario. And Ontario, of course, is the sixth of 10 provinces now that will allow private sector retail. Private sector retail of cannabis um, is going to happen by April of next year, so we've just learned. In terms of the companies like yours, uh, 
have so far been providing medical marijuana mm-hmm. exclusively. So it's the transition, I would think, would be relatively seamless to move towards a, a wider audience yeah, for your product. Absolutely. I mean, the grow facility that are licensed by uh, the federal government for all licensed producers in Canada, uh, just over about 100 on the list now, they uh, are use the same facilities to grow medical cannabis as they do for recreational cannabis. So that transition will be easy because we're all ready, heavily regulated by the federal government. All of our product is tested. Uh, all of our inventory is controlled and securely transferred to various patients across uh, Canada through direct mail, uh, through Canada Post or, or other or other ways. So that transition will be, will be easy for most. We, of course, are also active on the other end with the retail, and our plans are to open 20 to 30 retail stores across Canada by the end of the year. We're one of only four companies that have a master license to open stores in Manitoba. We have applications in, in Edmonton and Calgary that are working their way through and already have some preliminary approvals in some cases. So we'll certainly be active across the country. So will Haiku and other companies like yours now lobby the PC government to have an audience with them so you can offer them your advice, your guidance, and uh, hopefully be part of the structure in selling the marijuana? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, with Ontario uh, coming out with the announcement yesterday, it actually allows us as Haiku Brands or Tokyo Smoke as they're a retail brand to talk to them about what's worked well in the other jurisdictions that allow private sector retail and what hasn't. And hopefully Ontario can then develop a streamlined, more uh, friendlier approach uh, to the regulation that needs to be there. We need to be regulated for sure. Uh, but there's some pitfalls that they can hopefully avoid. Uh, and I know my friend uh, also on the line, Alan Rewak, will will have a lot to say about that um, with, uh, with uh, the Cannabis Association. Alan, your reaction to the plan? Oh, we're thrilled. Uh, we think this is a smart plan for Ontario and for taxpayers. What the Premier has put on the table really allows us to build on our strengths. The private sector has the resources, and we in the regulated cannabis space have the experience to build safe, uh, secure stores that are really appropriately age-gated, and the government's got a, a great track record in regulating and controlling that. So this is a smart play. It's going to save taxpayers money, and most importantly, I think it's going to protect families and deal a crippling blow to organized crime. We simply did not have enough government bricks-and-mortar stores in the pipeline to meet the need in our communities. And so this new plan will allow for discreet, responsible retail that will cost the taxpayers nothing and will really help us stamp out organized crime in Ontario in this sector. So in between October 17th and April, when we actually will have these brick-and-mortar stores, as you say, what about the safeguards for children online? What is that going to look like, this Ontario cannabis store on the internet? Well, I, I think that it's important to recognize that this is not new. The online sale of cannabis was always anticipated to be run through the Ontario Cannabis Store, and Premier Ford is making that available and fulfilling his obligations under the federal legislation. We've had for many years uh, a proven program called the ACMPR, which is what all licensed cultivators and sellers of medicinal cannabis adhere to. We've had no cases of diversion under the ACPMR of any cannabis. So the mail order system for medical cannabis has kept it away from kids. It has worked. But how, how does it work, though? Say, so when you go online, how does the system and the application know that you are 19 or older? Well, I think we're going to see some further details in the coming weeks and days, but I do know Ontario has partnered with Shopify to develop some very unique and, and very robust age-gating mechanisms that go far beyond simply checking, are you above 19? 
They'll use various algorithms. They'll ensure identity checks, and we'll make sure that the product is delivered through secure mail. So I don't think we're going to see a major issue of children somehow surreptitiously accessing cannabis. Mm-hmm. I think what we're going to find is less kids accessing cannabis because the sad reality is they're accessing it today in high schools and lockers and ending prohibition and moving this to a legal framework will simply force criminals who don't have the morals and are willing to sell the children to find something else to do. And so what we're going to see is less access for youth, greater protections, and a crippling blow to organized crime. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. I guess the other question I want to ask you as well as the Zoomer radio listener, there, you know, there has been a stigma around marijuana for such a long time, uh, and now that is changing. I mean, even in the conversation we're having, it's a very mature adult conversation about a new product, which is about to become legal. It's interesting, isn't it, Will? Like the, the, the feeling around the conversation around marijuana isn't so in the closet anymore, I guess. Yeah, it's funny now that uh, cannabis consumers feel a little bit more comfortable sort of coming out of the closet with their cannabis use, uh, per se. It's uh, it's interesting who is actually coming out and saying that they consume cannabis. This is not something for, uh, for you know, I think there's a stigma around it that it's for, for low-income individuals or that type of thing. Everything from professionals on Bay Street to my friends and family to folks I went to university with are all interested in cannabis and how many people, how they can switch. They're tired of feeling uh, gross the morning after a few beers uh, as they get a little older or don't really want to consume uh, th- those couple of glasses of red wine in the evening after the kids have gone to bed. And you're right, there's a stigma that if you consume cannabis, as soon as you touch it, you are lazy and on the couch and eating a bag of Doritos. And that's akin to saying the minute your lips touch a glass of alcohol, you're completely drunk and useless and you're going to be hung over the next day. Everything in, in moderation, we we need to uh, educate people about that reduction of stigma and educate people on how to responsibly consume cannabis and make it part of your life, not the, the overall consuming factor in your life. Alan, I think, though, that people know, I mean, I know what I'm going to feel like when I have a glass of wine, but the, uh, there is, it's sort of uncertain around marijuana how you're going to feel after a puff or after ingesting edibles. Uh, is that part of what we need to kind of figure out as well so that we know as consumers, those who use marijuana, they can count on how they're going to feel after using a product or a certain amount of it? Well, the experience of cannabis is somewhat subjective, just like the experience with alcohol is. But the important thing is that we're beginning to have the conversation. And, and I think education is going to be vitally important, particularly with edibles and concentrates in about a year from now. But What's surprising is, just as Will alluded to, we're finding that this is not a product that people aren't consuming today. About 20% of your peers, your neighbors, your, the folks you'll see at church, the people you'll see at the grocery store, these are cannabis consumers. And they've been hiding it for a very long time. And what we're really doing is migrating an illicit market to a legal marketplace. We're not trying to induce non-consumers we're just trying to give a legal option to people who choose to consume cannabis for adult consumer uses. And part of that conversation, that education, is really linked to the medicinal benefits we're seeing from cannabis. I've seen so many people have their lives changed for the better, young, old, of old ages, through medicinal application of cannabis, particularly some CBD strains. Um, 
And I think that has helped change the perception and has begun a conversation that will simply expand and grow in the years to come. So the CBD strains are the ones that don't make you feel high? For no, I mean generally um, there will you always want some interaction. There will always be a small degree of THC, and THC does have a lot of proven medicinal benefits as well for chemotherapy, HIV treatments, and the like. So there's a role for both in medicinal care. The, the key is finding a good medical professional who knows your history and is willing to work with you to find the right products for your condition. We know uh, that legalization is coming to Ontario and Canada October 17th, and we've had conversations about whether you are pro or against legalization. It is happening, but is this the best way to roll it out? I want to hear from you. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Let's go to Mary in Burlington. Hi, Mary. You're on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. How are you? Fine, thanks. Good. I called last time, I'll just briefly say, and um, my question was not answered. However, I am very disturbed about the legalization of marijuana. Um, I am from that part of the Caribbean where marijuana took over the lives of young people. I was there about three years ago, and I was totally devastated to see what has become of Jamaica. I know one other island in the Eastern Caribbean, their main crop, which was banana for export. Banana is now dead, and it has been replaced by the production of marijuana, and it is absolutely pathetic. Whether it is legalized or not, it is deleterious to young people and should not be allowed. It's a disgrace on Canada to be allowing that sort of thing. I don't care what the pundits say. Okay, Mary, I appreciate your call and we respect your opinion. I guess the difference with Jamaica is, and Alan or Will, it doesn't matter who weighs in on this, um, maybe you, Alan, first. Jamaica marijuana is not legalized, uh, so you have a lot of underground operations. I, I mean, that's sort of what we want to get away from here in Canada, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, from the association's perspective and the industry's perspective, uh, I want to be exceptionally clear. I don't want youth accessing cannabis. That's why we're legalizing it. Its prohibition, simply put, has failed. I'm getting a little more gray hairs each day, but I remember even when I was in high school, cannabis was more accessible and available than alcohol was. So we've decided as a society that there's a better way to regulate it. And this is not about making a party or having cannabis everywhere. This is instead about controlling youth access, getting organized crime out of the cannabis sector, and ensuring that we can tax the proceeds of a product that 20% of Canadians are consuming on a daily, weekly, or bi-monthly basis, and use those dollars to build hospitals, long-term care facilities, roads, and power of police services, because the product is being consumed today. Now, in regard to replacing agricultural crops, I agree. I don't want to see cannabis everywhere on every field. We, we need to be very cautious on Class 1 farmland. But there's two things we have to keep in mind. One, for over a century, we've been growing industrial hemp outside with no real problem. And that industrial hemp can become a useful component in the creation of medicinal cannabis oils going forward. Secondly, in terms of dried flour for consumption or even oils for recreational consumption, 
These are grown in tightly controlled, generally indoor facilities that have tighter security than most government buildings. The neighbors uh, are blessed with odor uh, mitigation technology and very secure fencing. So this is not something that will be in anyone's face. We're doing this the Canadian way. We're creating economic opportunity, we're keeping youth away from it, and we're generating great jobs in our communities. This Will, is the right way to go. Do yeah. you want to add to that? No, just very, very briefly, because I agree with everything that Alan uh, has said. He's very knowledgeable, very experienced uh, uh, guy at the association. Um, you know, we. it's ironic that they, the, your last caller talked about Jamaica and the illegal grows that has corrupted children. That's very much the same reason, as Alan says, that we're trying to legalize things here. They're actually going through the same process in Jamaica. Haiku Brands and Tokyo Smoke is fortunate enough to have a relationship with Kaya, which is a licensed producer of medical cannabis and a sales uh, outlet of medical cannabis in Jamaica for the exact same reason as we're moving to legalize here, which is to get it out of the hands of kids, provide a safe, reliable source of cannabis that is government regulated and government controlled. There are very many parallels there. And I just echo what Alan says. I have no interest. I have three kids of my own. I have no interest in marketing or selling cannabis to children. What about, I mean, we talk about the positive health aspects of medical marijuana, and that's why marijuana is marketed uh, as, as um, a part of a program to treat people with various diseases or conditions. But what about the negative health aspects of marijuana? Inhaling the smoke, like inhaling tobacco smoke, is there a difference? I mean, this is, this is still research that hasn't been completely confirmed or, or shored up. Yeah, and I think that's exactly it. I'm not a doctor, and I'm not going to profess to be a doctor here in uh, in terms of what the difference is between cannabis and tobacco. There are studies out there. Those studies are debated by medical professionals. What I would say is I would echo what Alan has said. This is something that is already being consumed by Canadians. It's already being consumed, grown and produced by the black market. We don't know what chemicals are in it. We don't know how it's produced. We don't know what the genetics actually are. So what we're moving is from the darkness to the light. We're not creating a whole new industry. Years ago, when energy drinks came to Canada, they had to create a market for energy drinks before they could sell energy drinks. We don't have to create a market here. And those who don't want to consume cannabis shouldn't consume cannabis. And those who are concerned about inhaling things shouldn't inhale things. But there are options for people, and Alan referred to earlier as well, that a year from now we actually have, pardon me, we actually have a legal situation where edibles and concentrates will become legal. So that takes the smoking aspect right out of it completely. That will take another year. The federal government has signaled a regulatory regime will take will be introduced within a year. And then you've got a situation where cannabis could be on the dinner table. It could be, would you like red wine, white wine, or an infused beverage with cannabis? We know a lot of companies in California, for example, are already creating alcohol-removed cannabis-infused wine uh, because it's a different option uh, for people. And that's really uh, will take the stigma of smoking right out of the cannabis discussion. Well, we've actually been, uh, I'm part of the morning show here, Breakfast Radio, and Neil Sam and I have been promoting Hill Street beverages uh, for the first part of the summer. We went alcohol-free for a month uh, to talk about those products, and um, they are also moving towards uh, cannabis-infused beer and cannabis-infused wine. So it's be, it's becoming a market unto itself. Absolutely. It's very dis... Cannabis is still in its infancy in Canada. It will disrupt the beverage alcohol industry, and many of the brewers, vintners, and distillers are looking at this industry for how they can preserve some, some market share or keep their market share. Um, but it also uh, moves forward in different ways when you get into the edibles and concentrates uh, discussion around it. And I think that will disrupt the industry that's already disruptive to other industries in a few months' time. We're 
We're talking about the new plan just announced by the Ontario PC government, the Doug Ford PCs at Queen's Park, to begin with online sales through a retail chain known as the Ontario Cannabis Store starting October 17th, the national legalization date, and then move to a regulated, they say a tightly regulated, private retail model by April of next year. Joining me here, and I'm Jane for Libby, we've got Will Stewart of Haiku Brands and Alan Rewak, Executive Director for the Cannabis Council of Canada, and your calls. You're all lined up to go here. Let's check in with Christine in Mississauga. Which, what would you like to add here, oh, Christine? Hi. I just want to say I'm not a marijuana user, but I was when I was very young, at 17 years old, and we smoked pot, what we thought was pot, but in fact, there was a lot of hash uh, in the pot, and it had uh, terrible effects, uh, I think, long-lasting effects on my... Um, on my mental health, um, and that's why I think it's a good idea that they do legalize it now and have control. So people who do use it and need it for medical reasons or whatever reason can get a product that you know is safe. Because um, if you're buying here, there, and everywhere, you don't really know what's in it. So um, that I think is really important. And my other point is, I'm not sure if 19 years old is old enough because at 17, your brain is still developing. And I believe until you're probably about 2021, 20, your brain is then more fully developed. Uh, I think it's a good idea to keep it away from from younger people. And also they need to promote, you don't have to smoke and you don't have to drink, which nobody ever says. Right, you don't that have to do really, either. Because yes. I admire people that I know that don't drink or smoke anything. Yes. And I, and I just admire that. And that message is not sent out, and I wish it would be. All right, Kristen, yeah. thanks. Thanks for your call. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Alan, let's talk about some of these uh, illegal shops. Um, that call there just sort of prompts the idea of these uh, uh, random storefronts that we see in different parts of the city where uh, presumably we don't know what's in that product. And moving forward, Vic Fideli made very clear that those places are going to be shut down if they're not shut down already. The only legal place... You can purchase cannabis uh, until October 17th is for medicinal purposes right. through a licensed producer. All storefronts in, the, in Canada, whether in Ontario or Alberta or BC, are currently technically illegal. Now, in many of those, we do have good people who want to be part of a legal system, and I would encourage them to follow the finance minister's advice and shut their doors and try to do things the right way. There's a real opportunity for us all to be part of this conversation. But I also greatly appreciate the finance minister's commitment to keep criminal elements out of this. Because even though at many of those dispensaries, we might have good people working the counter, behind the scenes, there was some nefarious element connected to organized crime in many cases. And that's exactly what we want out of this business. And that's what the Ontario... Oh, we just lost you there, Alan. If we, if we dropped you, would you mind calling back? In the meantime, I'll go to Bernie in Mississauga. Bernie, what's your opinion on this? Jane, I just think that uh, it's a wrong move to put it in private uh, hands. I think that the, all they're going to do is reward some of their friends and get them lucrative jobs. And after a year, they'll have a picture in the paper, Entrepreneur of the Year selling marijuana, when any old Joe could sell it. So... You look at the chaos on our streets now, at accidents and everything else, I think uh, it's going to be a very, very sobering effect on people when they see the damage that this is going to do by going carte blanche and legalizing it. Okay, Bernie, I guess we'll see. Uh, Will, you know, uh, there have been states in the United States that have uh, legalized cannabis from... 
in terms of how they've made made the transition, have we seen any of the concerns that have just been raised there by Bernie? Well, I mean, Bernie raises two questions. One, he doesn't want legalization. And two, he's got uh, a concern with the private sector. And those opinions are fair. I mean, I fundamentally disagree. In the jurisdictions where we're in advanced stages of getting our stores ready, we have three, four, sometimes even five different regulators watching over us uh, in terms of what we do, right down to where the security cameras are are uh, are put. Uh, you know, the it, it's a very heavily regulated industry, as it should be. Um, in the U.S., it's tough to say what their uh, impact has been on the roads, which is what Barry has, has said. On the one hand, there's more reported incidences of cannabis being involved in impaired driving, which, you know, needs to be dealt with. Uh, there's partnerships with Mothers Against Drunk Driving here in Ontario, um, or in Canada, rather. There's lots of education that needs to be done, and it's not acceptable to drive under the influence of anything, whether that's prescription drugs, alcohol, cannabis, sleep deprivation, whatever it might be, impaired driving is is a major problem. But the other, the flip side of that argument in the U.S. is there's actually just more people that are willing to talk about their cannabis consumption, and the police are looking to test for cannabis consumption. So by that very nature, the reported incidents have, have gone up. Has it actually made a difference in the number of people who are consuming cannabis and driving? I think that's a legitimate question. Certainly not something we want to replicate here in uh, Ontario or in Canada, and we need to do everything possible to educate people on the dangers of impaired uh, driving from a variety of substances. We've got Alan Rewak back on the line. Sorry, we lost you there. I apologize. I don't know what happened. There. No, I, no I, worries. We're just I know uh, we're... we're just now talking about, and uh, it's a great point that Will has brought up in terms of the whole aspect of legalized marijuana and making sure that people aren't driving under the influence, and how that's still in its infancy, making uh, the whole testing process for that by police. Exactly, and, and they're already proven observational techniques to utilize. We're developing new technology to help analyze what that threshold of intoxication is. Cannabis is a very complex product. It, it affects an incredible amount of receptors in your brain. So testing intoxication, establishing that threshold from a percentage standpoint is something that will take a bit of time. But as Will said, people are driving under the influence today and sunlight is the best disinfectant. As we take this process out of the illicit market, we get it to a place where we can have honest discussions, we can better educate youth and indeed adults that you should never be driving under the influence of any product, as Will said. Um, We have far too many people who are driving sleep deprived on prescription medication and indeed in some cases on cannabis, but this is not a new problem. Uh, Going back to my earlier point, 20% of our population is consuming cannabis now uh, for adult consuming use in some illicit form and some of them are driving. We need to take this off the black market and have these honest conversations so that we don't face these problems again. A a question I want to ask you both. I I was planning to wrap the segment now, but there are uh, a number of people who still want to talk about it on the phone. Uh, So if you don't mind sticking around, Will and Alan, for a few more minutes, we'll continue the conversation. And I do want to ask you, when we come back here... Does the legalization of marijuana mean that people who are, say, 50 years of age and never smoked marijuana, are they going to become users? I'm curious about that as well. And your calls, keep them coming, 416-360-0740 or toll-free, 1-866-744-740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host 
Jane Brown. Libya's back soon from her summer vacation. We're having a very informative conversation today about the legalization of marijuana. Uh, and we now have a plan for it here in Ontario. Premier Doug Ford's PCs announced yesterday that starting October 17th, which is legalization date, we've known that for some time, marijuana will be sold through a retail chain known as the Ontario Cannabis Store online, and then to a private retail model, which still needs to be worked out by April of next year. And we're having a conversation with Will Stewart, VP of Haiku Brands, and the Executive Director for the Cannabis Council of Canada, Alan Rewak. Uh, the question I had there before we went to break, uh, Will, I'll put it to you first. The idea that all of a sudden people who've lived a lot of their adult life are going to start consuming cannabis regularly. How likely is that? I mean, there is this concern that reefer madness is going to go, you know, run rampant. Yeah, I, I don't think that that's going to happen. I think there are there is a segment of the population who are cannabis curious, who are waiting for legalization and think they might uh, consume a little bit to see what all the hype is about. And maybe it's for them and maybe it's not. There's also those who uh, consumed it previous in the, previously in life. You know, many of your listeners, perhaps uh, in university when they were, were younger, uh, when there was uh, a lot of acceptance for, for cannabis consumption, might come back to it now. We, we've we actually seen that one of the biggest segments, biggest growing segments of cannabis consumption is is senior citizens. Senior citizens. It has uh, grown by some estimates 333% year over year. And that's because it's in small doses and perhaps more CBD than THC. It can help relieve some of those daily aches and pains that come with aging, whether it's a little bit of pain in your back, a little bit of pain in your knees or your hip, maybe even helping you sleep through the night uh, again. There's a lot of different applications that people can talk to their physicians about or, when available, talk to the folks in our stores uh, about as well in terms of if cannabis is is right for them. Alan, what about you on that? What do you think? I, I, I concur. I, I think that we're looking at two markets, though, and, and we have to keep that in mind. I think with with older Ontarians and with with some folks undergoing some health challenges, we're going to see more and more exposure to the medicinal benefits of cannabis at the direction of a doctor or a medical professional. For adult consumer use cannabis that we'll see on October 17th, I certainly don't anticipate reefer madness by any means. I think this is really about migrating illicit consumers to a legal marketplace. So the people who will be buying cannabis on October 17th will you know, the vast majority will be people who previously were buying illicit cannabis. And this is just about taking that away from the illegal market and putting it into a legal framework so that we can harness the economic and social potential of this sector, while also better regulating access to youth for cannabis. We don't want kids consuming it. Let's go to Joan in Oshawa. Hi, Joan. You're on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Go ahead. Hi, Jane. How are you today? Fine, thanks. What's your take on all of this? Oh, my take on all of it. I'd rather see it legalized than the way it was before. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I need information for pain. Yes. So if your doctor's not for it, how the heck can you get it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, appreciate your, your call, Joan. Uh, there's a number of cannabis-specific clinics in the, uh, in the province. Uh, a simple Google search will give you a, a number of them. Um, and they can help walk you through with their medical practitioners, doctors, uh, registered nurses, that type of thing, to figure out if cannabis is right for you. And if so, what type of cannabis is right for you in terms of pain? 
because different types of cannabis, different strains of cannabis, right down to different ways that you ingest the cannabis, all will have different effects on you. I'm not a doctor, I'm not going to pretend to be one, but there are a number of clinics out there that are filling that gap simply because only about 10% of medical doctors uh, are comfortable talking to their patients about cannabis and willing to write that certificate for medical cannabis at this point. Yes, I tried that and I have a friend that is on medical uh, marijuana w- without the THC in it. Yep, the CBD and formulations. She, you want to see the improvement in her. It's absolutely astounding because she was her face was bloated and everything from her medical problem, and now she oh, it's a hundred percent turnaround. That's, That's amazing. And so for somebody like Joan, if she were to go to the clinic and get the prescription, how does she deal with her sometimes, in, in many cases, her longtime GP? Uh, how did, what, yeah, well, I mean, uh, I can't speak to each individual sure, GP, sure. but uh, typically um, I would think of it as, as, you know, when your your general practitioner isn't giving you all of the options and all of the things available to you, that when you add something to your, your daily health regime, whether that's probiotics or exercise or anything else, you usually inform your physician so that they know that uh, to watch for any potential drug interactions. But the folks at these clinics are really experts in that specific specific area of medical cannabis, and they'll be the ones who should be able to help you out, uh, not only find it out if it works for you, but then direct you to a licensed producer, because, of course, that is the only legal way to consume and, cannabis and have it shipped directly to your door. And what is the, the name of the clinics? Because I'm not online. I'll have to get someone to go online for me. Alan, do you have the answer to that? There's a range of them. I, I Joan, I, I'd rather not name an individual uh, chain at this point or a clinic, but if if you want to follow up after this, um, I may get a thousand emails after this. But if you want to email me at Alan, A L L A N dot Rewak R E W A K at C A N N dash C A N dot C A, we'll find someone to help you. Yeah, my problem is I'm legally blind. Oh, um, so if, <laughs> I'm kind of between the Dickens and the deep blue sea on this. Jane, so I, to speak. I hate to ask you this, but if, if you wanted to get Joan's number and pass it on to me after the show, we can have our team follow up and, and find someone who can help her. Okay, um, Michelle, can you put Joan on hold there for me? And uh, we'll get on to the next caller. Let's go to Ted in Stouffville. Ted, go ahead. The big thing in legalizing it, and you're going to see it, we're in a small town, and I've seen it with liquor. You're going to see it with high school kids of 19 years of age are going to be selling it to the cheaper, to the younger ones. The other thing, why all of a sudden are we having all these shootings in gangs? Are they trying to get a hold of cannabis in their territory, or what is it? Oh, goodness. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think any of the three of us know the answer to that. We need... Uh an expert from from the law and, and uh, security to come on and talk about that. Uh, Alan, unless you want to weigh into that. But that's the whole organized crime element of it that, that legalizing marijuana is supposed to get rid of. Oh, exactly. I mean, I, I can't speak to any specific incidences, but I think collectively when you take a major profit stream away from criminals who are engaging in other activities that really harm our society, and you use those dollars to empower our police forces, buy them equipment, build hospitals, roads, long-term care facilities, it only makes our country better, and that's exactly what we're going to do. And as the finance minister said, we're going to have stiff penalties. And the last thing the legal industry wants, our government wants, 
the people of this province want is kids to access cannabis. And I think there will always be cases of some youth trying to break the rules, and some of them will slip through the cracks. But it's going to be a lot better and a lot harder to access than it is today. If you weren't able to get on today, just a reminder that we have Free For All Friday on Friday. So if this is still on your mind, uh, the new plan for legalized marijuana, please call us back then. We do want to switch topics here in a moment. But, Will, just, uh, you know, a final word as we move forward uh, in terms of whether you have the opportunity to be consulted. Likely you will. Uh, the, the, the main points of what you'll tell the PC government as, as this plan gets underway. Yeah, I mean, first of all, we say thank you. Uh, we think it's a great move to allow the private sector to be able to prove to Ontarians that we're capable of doing this in an education-forward, heavily regulated uh, environment. Second thing I would say to the PC government is, you know, let's figure out how to do this properly. uh, I've had the opportunity to travel the country where private sector retail will be allowed, and I've dealt with a number of different regulators in each province and a number of different cities. And the number one pitfall, and the one thing that's slowing everybody down, is that the regulators actually aren't talking to to each other. So in some cases, there's a liquor and entity like the LCBO or the Ontario Cannabis Stores that purchases the cannabis. Then there's a separate regulator that regulates the sale of cannabis. And then the municipalities have to weigh in in terms of where cannabis stores can go. And one isn't talking to the other. So we're delayed on permitting and business uh, licenses, construction licenses for our stores as well. So having everybody at the same table at the same time to make sure that we as the private sector are uh, fulfilling all of our obligations, living up to the high standards that have been set, but allowing us to get those permits to get moving so that we can take this away from the black market and we can be ready with our stores for legalization. I've learned a lot today. I hope you out there have learned as well as we begin this process of legalizing cannabis in Ontario uh, in a new program just announced. Alan Rewak at the Cannabis Council of Canada and Will Stewart, VP of Haiku brands. Thank you both for weighing in today. Thank you very much. Coming up next, yeah, no problem. We'll talk to you again. And coming up next here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, are you fiscally fit or do you have a dysfunctional relationship with debt? You might be surprised to find out the effect the debt is having on your life. That's next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.